welcome back to Garbage Film, the show that seeks to prove that arty and trashy movies have a lot in common and you don't need to enjoy just one or the other. So we will take our movie of the week, pair it with something artier or trashier in the hope that you discover an unexpected new favorite, or at the very least, are entertained. I am one of your hosts, Nick, and with me is the one nice guy to another nice guy, the chicka to my waka, Aaron is here. Hi, Aaron. Hello. Waka chicka, waka chicka, waka chicka, waka chicka, waka chicka, waka chicka, waka chicka. Great soundtrack on this fucking thing. Yes, it is. It's the end of Noirvember. It's our Aww. final Noirvember episode, and you can't think of the end of November without thinking what comes next in the consecutive march of time, <laughs> as time is an arrow ever moving forward. And the next thing that happens is a holiday season of sorts. And you can't think of November going into a holiday season without thinking of the movies of one particular person that happened to be noir sometimes. That's right, we're talking about the nice guys from 2016. Obviously. Erin is head in hands, tears streaming down her face. I feel like maybe you think that's a more universal experience than it is. You simply can't think about November. I can. I'm doing it right now. Well, there's snow outside. It's very dry. Yeah. You're just upset at having to do anything, you know, with the holidays. <laughs> Actually, that is a universal experience. Yes. I'm glad there's a movie here for you. Yeah, a movie for the nice guys by the nice guys. It's <laughs> the nice guys. There's a couple of people I trust say so you're pretty good at this. I want you to find Amelia. You seen this girl? She's got dark hair. Her name's Amelia. Who's in it for me? He'll stop doing it. Don't lie. That. The mob is trying to spread its operation to Los Angeles. Somehow, Amelia is involved. One thing we know for sure, something funny's going on. Oh, this just keeps getting better and better. Look at the bright side. Nobody got hurt. People got hurt. I'm saying I think they died quickly, though, so I don't think that they got hurt. Come on! They're so nice. Not really, but sort of. Yeah, they're dirtbags. <laughs> Lovable dirtbags. I really feel like we should just do a month. I guess that's kind of what November can be. Yeah. Just a month on lovable dirtbags. Yeah, I mean, that's the best case scenario that you're getting. Yeah. For a noir protag, as I like to call them. Yeah, as you do. You yeah. do like to call them that. So obviously this is a neo-noir movie. I've seen it also described as a pop-noir movie, mm. along with Kiss, 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 Bang, Bang. Sure. Is it that there's comedy in it? I think it's like got like cute needle drops and oh, sure. it's a little almost cartoony in its presentation. All right, yes, yeah, you know I can I, mean? I can appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, pop noir, pop noir, which is uh, the framing device on this one. Just like as I referenced Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, as we did it this time last year for an episode. Go and listen yeah. to that one if you please, because uh, we're talking about the nice guys. Stop bringing up Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. <laughs> don't know what you want from me. <laughs> to stop bringing up Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I will hit you in the head with a hammer every time you say it. Very good. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, this is framed by a Christmas story. We see a Christmas tree at the sort of. beginning and at the end. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much it. Yes, let's say that. For our purposes today, it counts. <laughs> I will take anything. So I will give you a, here's a little synopsis for those not in the know of the nice guys. Let's do it. It's 1977 in Los Angeles, where a single father and licensed PI, Holland March, is hired to investigate the apparent suicide of famous porn star Misty Mountains. As the trail leads him to track down a girl named Amelia, 
he encounters less licensed and less hands-off private eye, Jackson Healy, which is, uh, we'll talk about Russell Crowe in a bit, but I just love, he's a big, thick guy in this. Just a big dude, yeah. Yeah. Both of whom were hired by Amelia, as we come to learn. But the situation takes a turn for the worse when Amelia vanishes and it becomes apparent that March wasn't the only interested party. The men are forced to team up because it's a classic buddy comedy scenario. So funny. Uh, and they need to take on a 70s world of goons, the porn industry, and the government. <laughs> it is possibly the farthest reaching noir we've done, certainly this month. Farthest reaching. Speak on that. Just like, and the government oh, yeah. is a big one. Usually <laughs> noirs are like... Your neighborhood sucks. You know what I yeah. mean? Like the individuals you come into contact with, everyone's got their dirty little secret or whatever. And this is like the U.S. government is corrupt. <laughs> I feel like that's I'm what going uh, I'm going to generalize like crazy off the top of my head right now. But like 40s noir feels very what you're talking about. Community like, yeah. oh, the office, the system, man. Your neighbor might be a serial killer. Yeah. And then the neo-noir is expanding that to like, what if it was the system? So I feel like this <laughs> is in keeping with the... Uh, yeah, all right. I'll, I'll accept that frame. Thank you. Accepted. <laughs> Next order of business. Uh, <laughs> Move on. Uh, directed by Shane Black, as mentioning, uh, but written by Shane Black and Anthony Begarozzi, who I don't know for, I don't know that he's written any other movies. I think that this is his only oh. one. I oh. could be wrong on that. But it is inspired by the novel The Blue Murder from 1973 by uh, Brett Halliday, who we talked about in depth on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang episode. Aaron, stop bringing up Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying my best. I really am. <laughs> uh, but this is really loosely like, it's inspired in the same way that, you know, <laughs> sci-fi story with the same title could be inspired by H.G. Wells, where it has nothing to do with each other. Yeah, it's just sure. like... The blue murder has the porn industry and the government in it. And that's kind of it. Uh, yeah. yeah, all right. I think that we've talked about this maybe on the pod before. In the Shane Black world, this is my preferred one, personally. Oh. And I know that you're on the other side of the movie. I shouldn't be naming anymore. <laughs> I have to feel at this point like it's not my fault. <laughs> it just comes, comes up so much. But yes, I, I am. Uh, I'm going to say its name. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. I, I feel like it's a tighter movie Mm, um like it had more passes at the script or something the script is not is is good in in uh kiss kiss bang bang nice guys you forgot oh no i (laughs) you wiped it from my mind (laughs) holy shit so you sorry the script in i feel like the script for kiss kiss bang bang is tighter but maybe honestly that is just because i've seen it so many more times because i definitely feel the exact reverse where i can in my mind's eye i can kind of like chart this movie and how everything progresses whereas kiss kiss bang bang to me is just a bunch of loose scenes that happen to add up to the movie (laughs) so i think this is just a uh we both have our our particular yeah yeah personal knowledge coming to bear that's probably fair. Uh, yeah. I, I think maybe Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is more strictly noir in the sense that the reveal at the end, such as it is, is just like people are seedy. Oh, yeah. I you can know, see that. That's, that's kind of it. And, and this is more like the U.S. government hates you in <laughs> Nice Guys. But this is a thing that I've learned this month on these episodes is that I think that we have two very different definitions of noir because to me, again, mm-hmm. Nice Guys is the much noirier one with its like 
the system is here, and no matter who you are in the system, you're forwarding the bad of it. Yeah. And it's there to stomp down the little guy. Like, that feels very... The crushing feeling. I, yeah. I don't think you're wrong about that. Yeah. I think I think that's a perfectly legit way to approach noir. Mm. Um, I just think that that also applies to other types of mm, movie. That's fair, And yeah. so it's it's the style stuff, obviously, but then that very specific localized feeling to me mm. really, like, makes it noir. Yeah, because I feel like you take the government stuff of this and that could just be, like, a paranoia thriller or yes. a random crime movie that's not necessarily got the you know, noir elements in there. So yes, exactly. I take your point well there. But on the stylistic side, definitely a noir. Definitely mm. that like that sort of framing of the problem. The problem mm. is generic, but the framing and like the, the characters and the approach, I yes, yeah. I, I think that's noir. Nice. One thing that I really like in Nice Guys is that like just generally the, the phrase smog crusted has just been Ugh. like running through my brain a lot. And I've, you, this explains why I've been crying all week. You've... <laughs> I was going to ask, are you clear to talk about it? (laughs) But that feels like the 70s equivalent of the griminess of 40s noir. Sure. Really externalizing that. Like, look, there's dirt on everything. It's literally in the air. (laughs) I'm swimming in it. Yeah. Yeah. And it looks gross. Kudos to them on making like a... A movie that does feel gross and you feel like sticky, but but it's not unpleasant to watch or look at. And that's why I think it becomes a pop noir thing as opposed to Uh. a full... Because I feel like noir generally is like, here, come with me, I'll steep you in whatever grossness I'm doing. And this is much more of a like, hey, check out this bygone era. Yeah, (laughs) a little time capsule. (laughs) Yeah, I think think that's probably fair. It does have that that feeling of like looking back on the (laughs) second. Without it being a like nostalgia, more of a like... This sucks. You remember when we had to do this shit? Uh, <laughs> I gotta. I want to give you a Shane Black quote right off the bat here Let's on uh, on L.A. generally, and like he sets all of his like I know him from more the mystery stuff than his like bigger studio things. So like sure. this is typically what I think of for him. Um, but here's his quote on L.A. <laughs> generally. I'm so excited. Quote. The sky was a crust of purple smog, the Hollywood sign in tatters, presiding over everything, and no one bothered to fix it. It's still the endgame destination for every American dreamer. That was L.A. But this sort of prom queen version of L.A. had decayed. It had become this tattered version of itself. The makeup was slipping. It was like a prom queen with dementia stumbling around, still pretending that this was the ideal. Whoa! <laughs> <Yeah>. Okie dokie! <laughs> so, I guess he has just become a hard-boiled detective. I was going to say, so is this from his novel where he plays Philip Marlowe? Is that what's going on here? Uh, that's hard, dude. Yeah. I mean, that's how the movie opens, is you see, you have this very, like, iconic view of, ah, oh, the Hollywood sign over the city. But yeah. it's from the back, so you can see how shitty the sign looks from the back. Yeah. It's just, like, rusted out and awful. It's got and that, you never like, swing around to see the front. Yes, exactly. But it's got that, like, specifically, like, weather drained rusty look that yeah yeah where you're like does anyone maintain this they clearly do not (laughs) it's left to the hill people (laughs) yeah so i wanted to jam that in there while we're talking about but let's talk about who's in this movie because it's a wonderful little cast of characters isn't it sure is we've got russell crowe who i love that he just gained a ton of weight because he's like yeah this guy in this movie would be a huge bruiser so like yes i'm gaining so much weight yes he's Um, very physically imposing in this and to add to that physical imposition, 
the most powerful version of Russell Crowe, where he's wearing reading glasses, looking over them, and also has sunglasses on his head. <laughs> so funny. Which is just this, also, I like that quote, because it's this guy who's, like, tough, and but he has to put on his fucking reading glasses to, like, look at anything. He gets a piece of paper, and he has to kind of hold it away from him and squint, and then put on the glasses. I'm like, <laughs> I've got my cool shades, but I also need to read. <laughs> and is he ever actually wearing the sunglasses, though? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. I, maybe not. <laughs> But I, I wanted to mention him up top because I just love that my favorite Russell Crowe roles are this and L.A. Confidential. So, like, right. he's my, I like a noir crow. This feels like there must be a, what's the time difference, do you think? Like, did hmm. L.A. Confidential come out 20 years before? It did. It yeah. did? Yeah. <laughs> It came out in 95 so, or 97 or something like I'm, that? I'm 100% sure there's something, like some fan theory out there where it's mm-hmm. like, it's the same guy. Uh, you want to hear a very funny thing? It is Russell Crowe's theory that oh. it's the same guy. <laughs> yes. That was his like head cannon of conspiracy boy. Really? Yeah. Nice. Good for him. Because he said he always wanted the LA Confidential character to have a sequel. And he was like, well, I'll just oh. treat this like it's the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome okay yeah that's great i'm glad that uh i'm so glad when these little things that like a carrot like uh, an actor or a director does that like if you've given it they no thought feel right it just it comes across and you're like hey that would be cool if that exact thing he was doing that yeah <laughs> acting acting i love that um We've also got the other nice guy, Ryan Gosling, who I also love that my favorite other role for him is a neo-noir, Blade Runner 2049. Oh yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> so I'm just really living... <laughs> as far as you know, he's a noir guy. That's, yep. yeah. <laughs> and uh, yet I have not seen Drive, so... Oh, fair, yeah. I'm too scared of that jacket. <laughs> it's got a scary bug on it. <laughs> remember it being very unexpectedly violent, and I kind uh. of like... Watched it at a time when I was not good at watching movies at all, and you're <laughs> like just I, like looking straight like, up. Oh, I don't know. Screen. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I told you my head doesn't move, so it makes it very hard for <laughs> you know part this of about me. Garbage lore. Aaron's head does not move. <laughs> it's in the canon. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, so one, he, we got to shout it out whenever it happens. Ryan Gosling, local boy from yes. London, Ontario. I choose to believe that his character's name of Holland March. Is a oh, reference to the up. very important wetland ecosystem that's very near us right now called the Holland Marsh. Now I believe that too. Yes. <laughs> and I honestly did think that his name was Holland Marsh the, couple, the right? first couple of times they say it. And I think that's probably why. It's a very important watershed. It is. Yeah. Learn more about Holland Marsh. Canada.gov.ca. Is that right? I don't I, know. Uh, yeah, I'll believe it. Yeah, Let's see if we get any results. Ready to go. I love. So Ryan Gosling was the first person to sign on to this movie. Oh, nice. Because he got the script and he was like, oh, Shane Black, he wrote uh, Monster Squad, that movie I love. Have you ever heard of this? No. It's an 80s movie that it's like one of the first things Black wrote. It's like an 80 minute exploit, not exploitation. It's just like a cruddy kind of trashy movie. Okay. But it sounds really fun. It is uh, where the titular squad... Um, is fighting against Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, the Wolfman, the Mummy, and the Gill Man from taking over the Earth. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. All right. So Ryan Gosling sees that. He's like, oh, Monster Squad guy. <laughs> and he just know they were in the room like, what the fuck are you talking about? As <laughs> he's been reading Shane Black interviews, and he's like, I, I guess he, like, they talked about it on set, and Shane Black was like, I barely remember right yeah, I... Like, what the hell? <laughs> the what? Have I even seen it was kind of his... <laughs> What a dork. Okay, all right. And uh, so Shane Black, or um, Ryan Gosling signs on, and then Russell Crowe's like, oh, Ryan Gosling's doing this? Yeah, I'll sign on. 
Meanwhile, they okay. the first draft of the script is from like 2000, the year oh, 2000. Like okay. I started writing it then. So, okay, yeah, it's been around. It has been around. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce her name, so let's see what happens. Anguri Rice, is that right? Sure, yeah. I've never heard it out loud either. So, right. Apparently, a lot of her dialogue, she she is uh, the child, the child one. Yes, Holland March's 13 year old daughter. Yep. Most of or a lot of her her big. Uh, good lines were like her improvising in the audition, which is like that kid's a fucking pro. Yeah, <laughs> god damn, an extremely yeah non annoying child actor. Yeah, rare to get that. Yes, yes, yeah, she's great. Yeah, and we've got Margaret Qualley, who I didn't know is the daughter of Annie McDowell, which makes sense um, as soon as I learned that. Yeah, you've got Kim Basinger, who I love that my favorite roles for Kim Basinger are both neo noirs. <laughs> this is <LA> confidential. <laughs> um, you got Keith David. You can never say enough good things about Keith David. You cannot. You got Jack Kilmer, who plays Chet, and that is, in fact, the son of Val Kilmer. Oh, okay. Including in the cast, we've got Hannibal Burris as the Bee and Robert Downey Jr. as the body of Sid Shattuck. Ah. <laughs> uh. Really rounding it out with some powerhouse performances <laughs> as B that Holland hallucinates and corpse. <laughs> Love it. And the I just want to mention while I'm thinking of it, that reaction that Ryan Gosling has to the corpse. Yes. The the like <laughs> Yeah. And he's literally doing an Abbott Costello. Oh, I think Costello yeah. thing. He's like he watched Abbott and Costello, I think, meet the mummy, I think is the one. He's like, I'm just gonna do that one. We'll see the book. <laughs> All right, that's pretty cute. Terrifically funny. And to bring it back to uh, the beginning of our discussion, John Ottman and David Buckley providing the Waka Chicka music. Nice. Thank you, guys. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So this is, I love this movie. It is a classic, like, I never feel the runtime of it. It just is so breezy and light, despite yeah. the fact that it's, like, not terrifically convoluted, but, like, there's a level of convolution that goes with any mystery typed thing yes yeah there's that classic well i say classic like shane black loves to do this mm. uh and i think classic now maybe <laughs> as the genre has kind of evolved mm. mystery you know noir type stuff where there are two kind of intersecting mysteries and they yeah. both are the same case but in this instance one of them isn't really like one of one of the cases that Holland March has open is Misty Mountain's grandma, I think it is, or aunt, aunt, something like that. Yeah, relation. Yes, <laughs> is convinced that she's still alive, yeah. and we see her death, and where like we see the car crash in the beginning, like yeah. there's you know no question, she dies, and this woman is convinced that she's still alive, and so she has Holland go looking for her, and that sort of just. I think that's meant to be a red herring of like she's still out there and it was mm. like a bigger it's it's not she's she's dead. Yeah. She died for sure and this woman saw a, a film strip. That's that's all it yeah. was. And that that's almost like a driver of like this woman thinks and so the way that it's set up is like she can't be alive, which means in mystery genre type things, it means she must still be alive. You know yeah. what I mean? Where it's yeah, seated like, that like only this one crazy woman saw her, but that must mean that there's like more to it. You know what I mean? Like I immediately go to like the film noir stuff, Laura and similar mm, exact mm-hmm. same, that exact setup. And then when they show up, you're like, oh, of course, because they've been saying all along that she's actually alive, despite the fact that every, all evidence points to the contrary. Yes. Yeah. But I like the point of the driver because she, I, I, remember thinking this watching this this time around 
when the ant shows up and that like piece slots into place that like oh saw the film strip not yeah. actually her it happens at such a like okay everything is washed out uh we have where no do we more go from here? and she literally just drives up and like hey a thing about the mystery like yeah. it's such like <laughs> come on back to the main plot boys <laughs> and I mean, that's such a, like we were saying before, it is kind of cartoony in this way, in these ways where they get these amazing breaks, mm. like hugely coincidental breaks. Yes. But things also, like half the time, the coincidences run the other way too, and they make their jobs harder. Yeah. So it does kind of even <laughs> out. It's just stuff like, you know, the woman who's holding them at gunpoint like accidentally trips and knocks herself out. You know? Which that type of thing, that's to me like, oh, that is a, a Shane Blackism so easily, you know you're watching one of his movies when something like that happens. Yeah. It just feels like, <laughs> okay, yeah, all right, that's pretty funny. Let's okay. look, you good. Yep. <laughs> we can move it along. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that, a lot of the interviews with Shane Black talking about like, oh, if you were to make a third movie that's on like the same kind of themes as this and kiss kiss bang bang at that point you could say you have a thematic trilogy right now there's just these two movies that are pretty similar you yeah. gotta do a third one to tie it together <laughs> do the yeah do the edgar wright move yeah make exactly a trilogy out of it. <laughs> the sad sack trilogy or whatever <laughs> yeah. uh and i uh one thing that i also like in this that i feel is you you'll remember kiss kiss bang bang better than me but the the fact that like the person who embodies the main antagonist, you can call it Kim Basinger, you can call it... The Justice Department. Yeah, yeah. whoever. Our hitman, John Boy. Yes. When he shows up, he doesn't show up until over an hour into the movie or something like that. Yeah. It is just kind of like, too much. I like that element because it feels like, oh, you are fighting a conspiracy. You're fighting like a loose cloud of stuff that you can't apply to a single person. Yes. It's just these little like scary spikes that pop out played by... Matt Bomer there, who I am convinced was created in the lab by combining Henry Cavill and John Hamm. (laughs) Yeah, but he went wrong somehow. He's too good at playing this, like, psychopath person. A little too plasticky. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A little too dead in the eyes. He's great in this. I really like him. Yes, I don't know if I've seen him in other shit, but that's so true, though. It's this very, uh, like, the problems are nebulous, Mm. and by their nature, they're hard to grasp onto, and Mm. they only make breaks just by getting these, like, random coincidences and things, or or they accidentally make someone else force their hand. Like, it's, it's... Yeah. They're not, like, slyly figuring things out. No, they're literally stepping into it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But they're moving in the right direction. (laughs) A scene I particularly love is they've sort of run out of these leads or whatever, and there's one... um, There's one clue left, and it's so, like, such a long shot. Um... Healy has a piece of paper that he found at a party oh, in right. the in the film reel. Like they're looking for this film that doesn't exist apparently, mm-hmm. and it shows a flight like from you know the Burbank Airport, yeah. and Holland comes back with like it's not a flight, it's like it's a flat, and the date is reversed, yeah. and like he sort of does this like amazing detective work at it, and he like <laughs> he he drops this one liner of like, okay, have fun, but you know it's not a flight, right? And Russell Crowe does an amazing, just like he's almost at the door and he just has to sort of rock back on his heel and keep <laughs> listening to what this guy is saying. And Holland is, looks at his daughter like, did he, did he leave? He's still there, right? <laughs> You're good. Stop? Keep going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he like delivers this great detective monologue. Like, here's how you can tell, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, great, let's do it. They rock out the door. And the apartment block doesn't exist yeah, anymore. Demolished. Like he's fully fucked it up. <laughs> 
and they accidentally drive past the the building at the airport like yeah. they, it, so like it's this weird combination of like both of neither of them together would have figured it out and they're both, both them, wrong but yeah, they're both they're, right they're both wrong but in combining in like working through both their theories they get it right yes which i love very much like both of them together are one detective <laughs> yeah and they, neither of them could rise to the needs of the moment yeah but by yeah. Throwing each other at the problem over yeah. and over. They managed to get there. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's really good. Uh, I just want to know, changing tax completely here. Sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but I know I'm among those out there that are like, ah, Ryan Gosling, fantastic comic performer that, like... Apparently, ...doesn't yeah. get utilized a lot in this way. So, this is a great movie for little bits from J- Ryan Gosling. <laughs> What's your favorite Ryan Gosling bit in oh, this? Man. I, oh, man. I think I rich... know what it is. Okay. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> I, I <laughs> can't even talk about it without laughing, but right in the beginning, <laughs> he's like doing this cool noir voiceover yeah. where he's like, you got to make do sometimes. There's always a way in or whatever. <laughs> he wanted to get something for like receipts from the bar to see if Amelia had showed up. So he waits till the staff leaves, goes up and does this like, I don't know what he was thinking. He wraps his, <laughs> his just knuckles. his palms yeah. Yeah, in cloth and then punches through the window, but then pulls his hand back out over the broken glass and just instantly severs an artery. And he's just like, oh no, oh blood no, it's blood. blood. Uh, and then it, he just falls down the stairs and it cuts to him flailing helplessly in the ambulance as they're trying to hold him down. I don't know what it is about that cut. It just kills me. The physical, like it, it is, me. this is my frame of reference, but it, I have a specific Simpsons bit in my mind oh, of okay. Homer eating expired shrimp. It's the exact same cut of like to an ambulance <laughs> to and the then end. of him inside the ambulance. Like it's, this is. The comic timing there that. is is like we got to stop watching. It's been watch. perfected. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a science now. That's what I thought you were gonna say. And the bit that I love on that is he's about to punch the window, and the like the little uh, kerchief comes like unwrapped from yeah, his body, and he, oh, like tucks it back in. Be careful! Got to make sure it's what. Were, what was that gonna help, you <laughs> idiot? Oh my god! Yeah, that's that's honestly my favorite. Yeah. What about you? Is well, it also that? Yes, it is. But I also like. I enjoy all the various shrieking sounds he makes throughout the movie. That's just very fun. Right, look, when you're talking to your doctor, just tell him you have a spiral fracture of the left radius. No! No! Deep breath. You mind if I have an apple? She's dead. What do you mean she's dead? Come on! She's not dead! Open your eyes! She's fucking dead! Wake up! just a treat but i think the one that like honestly sticks with me because he's so self-assured and here's where all of our exciting fun comedy comes from this detective who's so self-assured and then just gets proven wrong over and over repeatedly but the thing the the I, it happens at least twice where he's he says don't say in stuff just right. say <laughs> the young porno lady yeah the the young lady the porno young lady <laughs> 
Yeah, he's like he's running around trying to be a dad to this thirteen-year-old that's way more competent than he yeah. is, and also like he's trying to he's trying to be a dad, like a tough guy, you know. But he's drunk, responsible, to, constantly drunk. He's he, in a tub. Yeah, that's the opening shot as we pan up, and he's wearing a full suit in a full bathtub. <laughs> yeah, don't say don't say it's tough. Just don't say, say there's horrors here. <laughs> yeah, was there? That's a very like. That is what my dad would say. Don't say like, don't say um, you know. And yeah. he would do this like interrupting, like, ah, you said like, like trying to kind of drain it out of you. It did not work at all. Apologies, father. <laughs> but, but you no. felt really confident in your speech. You're like, yeah. I can be interrupted at any point. <laughs> all it did is drain me to, yeah, ignore yeah. interruptions for sure. <laughs> oh, okay. That's what it is. Now I know. <laughs> and that's why this podcast is the way it is. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, that's a really good bit. I love all the, if I may, mm. Sheen Black has this great way of sort of incorporating kids into the movie, mm. where it's not just like, this is the stand-in, you know, she's going to be in danger and get kidnapped, and that's what she's for. Right. That's not what the kids in this movie are for. Like, she's really, what is her name, the the daughter? Oh, God, yeah, we just watched right? this fucking really. Anguri Rice. Yes. Who plays the role of Holly. Holly in Holland. Yes, exactly. Why? Uh. <laughs> no, I know. I thought about that during the movie. I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> yes, which I like a lot. Um, so Holly isn't just there to get kidnapped and like, you know, or cause problems or whatever. Mm. She helps them figure some stuff out. She's and, a like, little she's, Nancy Drew. Yeah, she is. Yeah. But she's not like a genius or anything it's not she's just a 13 year old but the kids in particular like i keep saying kids because there's one bit that sticks out right at the beginning of the movie where misty mountains you know clearly the car's been sabotaged or whatever she crashes through this a bunch of backyards and the car she's finally like thrown clear Mm -hmm. and she's nude and dying like out in this backyard in the middle of the night and the kid who was like who witnessed this car crash comes over and has just been like he's stolen a porno magazine from his dad and has just seen like her as the centerfold or whatever so clearly he knows who she is but he takes off his sweater and like lays it over her it it doesn't say anything that's like the only thing he can think to do Hmm. and it's such a neat little moment of like the kid has no power to do anything about any of the situation the only thing he can do is just like make her warmer a little yeah. bit you know what i mean like a little more comfortable do a decent thing yeah, yeah. and this this movie has such an, a neat little element of like the kids are all right you know <laughs> like yeah they're always shown to just be like trying to help or trying to you know there's lots of like student protests and stuff going on and it's a weirdly optimistic it like is. it's not but it is you know yeah um, kind of approach to it where these adults are just huge fuck ups <laughs> and they're just petty and like, you know, <laughs> like protective and aggressive, but I'm glad you kids. talked about that opening. I really like that for just an amazingly visual shortcut to like, oh, here's what we think of the world and then pretty lady centerfold. And yes. then here's the actual reality. Woman dying on a rock. Um, yeah, here's how you get to that level of fame is you, people want to kill you. Yeah, here's what it's actually like. Yes. This isn't just the facade, which goes back to that LA bit about like totally. being sold the the lie of it. Can yeah. I read you another Shane Black quote? Oh, please, yeah. Uh, he, at the time that this movie took place, so 77, he was 13 at that time. Oh, okay. So uh, somebody asked him in an interview, I should have written down who this was, but uh, they asked him like, do you see yourself as that kid in the opening? Mm. Uh, and here you go, quote, 
that kid who jacks off every night? Yep, that's me. <laughs> there's there's an element of kids Thank in the movie you, Shane. because once again, the fairy tale element of these fantasy images, whether they're pornographic magazines, whether it's the Hollywood sign, it's all iconography that's just an illusion. And very quickly, this kid who is looking at this illusion of an airbrush centerfold finds the real thing broken on a rock. His whole world shifts in five minutes from fantasy to reality. Mm, yep. Just yeah. Good stuff. Nice. I really like that. Okay, there you go. I'm glad yeah. that was... I mean, I can't imagine that. Wouldn't have been deliberate, but it's very effective. Yeah, it comes across so, so clear. And that's the thing that I like about his movies generally, and especially I find it most in this movie, where it's like, there are so so much filigree and plot convolutions for the point of just making a more convoluted plot. Like, it's very clear and there. things just aren't straightforward in real life. Yeah, but the, the actual communication of, I'm going to say message, that's not right, but like the arc of everything that's happening is so crystal clear, like the visual language of everything. Like, that's what carries me through, I feel like. Yeah. Where if it was just the convolution, I've seen enough noir film... Uh, that I'm just like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Come just, on! <laughs> just makes you very frustrated to watch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate that here it's not it's not really that case. And yeah. to that end, a thing that I love about this movie, and this is one, there's like different approaches to mysteries and conspiracy movie stuff. A thing that I like the best is when it's all really part of the fabric of the reality that you're playing around in. Yeah. So it's all like plain sight stuff. Like there's so many newscasts in the background constantly that have like talking about the smog and the protests that you mentioned. And they're reading newspapers because that was a thing that existed <laughs> back then. The, there's like a brief shot of a comedian doing stand-up and he's making jokes about the smog. Right, yeah. And <laughs> the thing that I like the most, which is like, it's pretty heavy-handed, but when we meet Kim Basinger and we're in her office, she describes the literal plot of what's happening but treats it as this incredulous thing that you can't possibly believe. And she's like, no, she just stated what the conspiracy is. Yeah. And it's all right there, but it's like put together in such a great way that even if you could guess it at that point, part of the fun is, look at these two morons. Yeah. <laughs> talking to this bee. Credulous. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, you know, to get real life with that scenario, that is what people rely on who, mm. who sort of craft these you know, I hesitate to use the word conspiracies because it is just like a business model rather yes. than anything. But but it is, they do rely on people being like, well, they would never, or we'd have heard about it or something, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a really good bit of it. It's just like, it's all there, but there's so much noise and there's so much extra yeah. stuff to like fill up your brain that how could you possibly focus on this extremely wide ranging series of events and situations and like conditions you can't that's not what the human brain is built for so they get away with it and they didn't even have the internet then oh my god can you imagine (laughs) yeah (gasps) sorry everyone over the age of 40 that i was just like can you imagine not having the internet uh you're almost talking to me i I know (laughs) (laughs) i'm looking at you while apologizing Mm -hmm. yeah but uh, I was just mentioning these these dum dums our our favorite boys. Uh, I got a, I just got a bunch of Shane Black quotes that I like. Yeah, there. yeah, he, go for he it. is so verbose in interviews, like just going and reading about him. His press tour for this movie is so funny because there's full interviews where he doesn't mention the movie at all. He just gets on like tangents about <laughs> just stuff. Chats. Yeah. But uh, in this case, he was talking about the characters. Quote, they inhabit the 70s because it's a great time for crusaders. It's about people trying to fill these mythic shoes. And the crusades in the 70s were against LA's two biggest problems at the time, smog and porn. Yeah. So that's the like, <laughs> okay. very much grounding into this thing and like, that you have all of these crusaders, like Kim Basinger's a crusader. 
uh, the anti-porn people that are kind of implied. I don't think we actually meet any of them, but that's... No, but I mean the fact that, like, the head of the Justice Department is... This, this is her portfolio is yeah. pretty indicative. The shadow of Nixon looming over us. <laughs> I, mean... I don't need... I think that must just be a fun bit... <laughs> For the movie. I love that bit. It is... So funny. It feels a little contrived when you know it's coming and all that, but it still gets me every time. <laughs> it's still great. Like, I love that story that that uh, Healy tells about, you know, the two ways to look at things. That, yeah. So now I do hope that when I die, Nixon shows up. Ooh. But. All right. You're alone in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, one last thing I wanted to, like... I gotta, like, clear the air a little bit. Oh, okay. Because so I'll, to speak. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the stuff that gets written about this movie was, oh, this was envisioned as, like, a 70s crime serial um, TV show. And that yeah. is not the case even slightly. Oh. Uh, it was written as a movie in the year 2000. It got written up as a movie. Um, it got bandied about between a few things. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang gets made first because he... Shane Black was writing it as a uh, rom-com, and eventually it turned into a mystery story. Right. And that got sold pretty easy. He was trying to sell this one, and no one would buy it. Okay. Um, it was written as a present-day movie, so oh, okay. in the year 2000s, with the two, like, March and Healy are very much the only through lines. Okay. But he wrote this mystery in the year 2000s, no one would buy it. So the, he then retooled it to be a pilot for a series he had no ideas for. Oh. To just try and <laughs> to get the see thing if sold. anyone would, yeah, buy. Yeah. Okay. Um, but then he goes and makes Kiss of Bang Bang and Iron Man 3 and a few other things. Um, and he then just gets like, hey, we should try this again. What about, what if we made it a period thing? And the reason why he thought of that is because he gave it to somebody to read, like a studio to read. And at that time, it was set in present day. Yeah. And the return note that he got was, oh, we're not doing period films. And he was like, what the fuck are you talking about? I didn't like, give you one of those. Clearly, you didn't read it. You saw the word neo-noir or noir on there, and you're like, oh, this is a period Or movie. private detective or yeah, whatever. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he was like, oh, well, why don't I just write that? And then he wrote that, and then they made this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Turns out they were doing period pieces. Yeah, All right. exactly. But uh, <laughs> like his other more small-scale things, it was like Joel Silver that just made it kind of happen for him. Yes, thank you, Joel. Yeah. That's so funny. I could see it as a serial, yeah. Yeah, now that we've seen this whole thing, and especially the way that this ends, it feels yes. like, okay, There's next more. time on. What's next for our boys? <laughs> <laughs> But nice. uh, that's all I've got on the nice guys. If you have any highlights or... Well, actually, I have a whole segment, if you will permit me, because I think it's really interesting. Please lay it upon me. <laughs> Here we go. Laying commencing. <laughs> the the thing that really sticks out to me on, you know, multiple watches is this weird fixation that Holland has with the killer bees. Yeah, This that's is right. another one of these, like, scourges of the 70s. Like, it's in the newspaper and... Uh, hallucinatory a, bee. Yeah, and then he flips out at the end and like sees a bee and tries to smash it because he's been reading about killer bees this whole time oh, at the bar. And in the final bar area, he's talking to the bartender about bees. Yes, yeah, he can't let it go, which is very funny. I was like, yeah, I guess this, this was like a huge thing at the time, like a huge thing. So I'm going to... That seemed like such a funny inclusion to me mm. given that most of the... Like, you know, if you want to go with an environmental crisis within that time, it should be the thing they're talking about. And it's the plot of the movie, which is like the auto industry. Right. right yeah. So I was like, why this? And I just like the more I was reading about it, the more I 
it strikes me how similar these two things are, but they're sort of in the flip sides of the coin from each other. So I would like to take us through a segment I'm going to call Smog and Mirrors, which is an exploration of U.S. domestic crises in the 70s. And please bear with me because I promise it's more interesting than that. (laughs) That's a very noir title, though. Yes, I know, right? (laughs) Okay, so little tiny bit of setup history here so there was an oil embargo in 1973 that created like the first gas crisis in the 70s which is what they're showing here like people lining up at the pumps and like even days odd days even plate numbers could fill up on even days like all of that you know i hadn't even thought about the fact that we see those gas lineups yep okay we sure do um, it's a bit like, I feel like Nice Guys is a little bit of a pastiche in this sense, because it's mm. set in 1977 yeah. in December. Th- that was kind of between two gas crises. So like, we'll allow it. It's fine. Wedged specifically yeah. in between. <laughs> like very specifically. Um, so yeah, I do. I want to like look at how the U.S. responds to crises at that time, because it's a very like, it's sort of this wider macro, you know, image of how Holland and, hmm. and Jackson respond to crises as well so the <laughs> a lot of screaming crying yeah <laughs> falling down i bitched screaming mostly yeah so amelia the girl that they're looking for she her she's on the run because she wants to expose the auto industry's suppression of the catalytic converter this is a made-up scandal for yes, the movie it feels real which is unfortunate <laughs> yes i know right um so the catalytic converter is a device that basically controls exhaust emissions. There's like a bunch of chemistry involved. It basically turns toxic gas into not as toxic gas. So great. There we go. <laughs> toxic Ta-da. into like... And less. Just, <laughs> less kill you. Instead of feeling like you're smoking, it's like secondhand smoke. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And these have been around for ages. Converters have been around in Europe since the end of the 1890s. Like they would oh, use okay. them for smokestacks and things like that, right? Like when <laughs> the Industrial Revolution was like in full swing. Um, in particular... There's a French engineer named Eugene Houdry who patented a converter and like he specifically moved to Philadelphia in the 30s to live near the refineries where the oil was or the air was so bad. I got to breathe in the good stuff. Let's go where I can put this baby to the test. Um, And he patented a bunch of like stuff that's still in use today. Um, Yeah, I legitimately recognize that name. So, yes, there you go. Yeah. So, like I said, converters initially used on smokestacks because that was the big obvious producer of, like, air pollution that you could see, right? Mm-hmm. But when the first studies about L.A. smog specifically <laughs> were published, Houdry was like, oh, fuck, that's where that's where I should be working. <laughs> and he specifically started looking at car exhaust as, like, a culprit of oh. air pollution. Okay. Can I throw a Shane Black quote your way right now? Oh, yeah, now? please, please, please. Yeah. Uh, I, he, I just, like, this came up. In him talking about it, the smog cr- crust sure. that I keep talking about. <laughs> Such a gross term. But if you lived through it, there were actually air raid sirens that would go off when the smog was so bad. You'd have to pull your kids inside if they were playing ball because they'd get too sick if they stayed out. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, and it, it was legitimately, like, it went on for ages. So, mm. like... You know, the idea that car exhaust causes air pollution and that air pollution hurts and kills people has been around for, like... Before this movie takes place, a minimum in the public consciousness of 30 years. 30 okay. fucking years. Like, it's not brand new by any means. No. But um, it's still, like, novel enough at that point, I feel like. No? Honestly, okay. no. So, here's the thing. There was an L.A. smog event in 1943, like, a big famous one, that oh. caused a huge panic in the city because, like, it's in the middle of the war. They genuinely thought they were under a chemical attack. Oh, shit, yeah. The air smelled like bleach. People, <sighs> like... 
showing up at like they couldn't breathe like throats were closing people couldn't see because their eyes were watering and like it was so bad people went to the hospital and it was just smog like there was there's something about the geography of la where it's in the valley and like yeah like if there's a cold front it'll trap smog uh, yeah. yeah okay and so they have this cute name for it it's called the beast you couldn't stab oh my god like it was killing people the beast you couldn't stab the, again like amazing noir novel yeah yeah so Jesus good. Christ! And like, and it did not stop after in- the incident. Like, there there are historical photos of people like going to dinner or shopping or going to plays or stuff in full gas masks. <laughs> this is how people lived in LA for like like th- it's easily through the fifties. So yeah, for sure, Shane Black would have like kind of grown up in this in this environment, right? Yeah. Of like the air might kill you, <laughs> and they it, like smog events were killing people yeah. uh, like by the dozens across American cities. Denora is a really famous one because it was like a refinery town i think and it basically was the flashpoint for like in one day 25 people died Mm, and that was the flashpoint for like what would eventually become the epa because like Uh, i know of obviously nothing that severe but like in toronto the very city we're in right now we used to have acid rain warnings constantly right yeah for exactly the same reason yeah 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 well i named it like in 1952 there was a smog event in london and it killed literally thousands of people just in the initial you know later like 10,000 more died from complications and stuff. I'm I'm I am interested. So did you know about these things cuz I fucking didn't? I knew con- like not the specifics, but yeah, I knew that like smog killed people a lot. Okay. Like I know this could be something that that you found when you were looking into this stuff, but like part of the reason the EPA got a lot of power initially was we can't keep the economy of California going because LA keeps getting destroyed every time there's a smog event yeah. through the 70s. Well, that's yeah. the weird thing. Yeah, Denora's in, I think, Pennsylvania, but California oh. was, I think, the first state to enact, like, statewide regulations and, like, emissions targets mm. and things, and then the rest of the country kind of followed suit. But, mm. yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Okay, that's that's very interesting. I, I really, I knew it as, like, oh, it's bad for you, but not that it, like, would kill people regularly. Like, I knew the acid rain stuff in Toronto. I was like, that's from car pollution. That mm, was, yeah. I knew that full everything. Like, we literally talked about it in science elementary class. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, I grew up in Alberta, and we yeah. did not. I was going to make a joke say. about that, and mm. I'll leave it to you to say. Nope. <laughs> so, all of this means the Clean Air Act comes about in 1970. I think they updated it in the aughts at some point. That's and good. it actually, like, considering, you know, Nixon was president immediately after like i think this was a um a jimmy carter thing i cannot remember i'm not american i just the phrase considering nixon is (laughs) that feels very loaded when you said that it's like okay high alert consider nixon um the weird thing about the clean air act is it has really sharp teeth for a set of regulations (laughs) it there was actual accountability and oversight, and it was properly funded for both mm. those things. Does government I know. do that? Uh, they used to. Huh. It forced companies to ensure that they, like, yeah, they could propose all they want, but they had to actively carry out long-term improvements to start meeting these brand new emissions regulations. <laughs> it required a 90% drop in emissions rates from their, like, you know, their products by yeah. 1970. Or no, 1975, I think. Okay. But it left the companies to figure it out on their own. It was like, target Target, do it whatever way you want. Right. But it has to meet that target, mm. which is crazy. 
so I know. Leaving that door open <laughs> makes me nervous. No, but it was like, I don't care. Like, your company will go under if it does not meet these things by okay. 1975. What, so, they can just, like, nuke it from orbit? What are they? I guess. I don't <laughs> know what their plan the, was, but, yeah. Just walk in with a bunch of hammers? Maybe, like, heavy fines. I don't know, yeah. but. So the fictionalized scandal here, because, again, pastiche, is yeah. the big three automakers, uh, GM, Ford, and Chrysler, know that the catalytic converter works, but they don't want to overhaul their designs to include it. That's the fictional scandal of oh, the movie, okay, right? Yes. In real life, by 1975, like a, a majority, I think all GM cars had it, most Ford and Chrysler cars had it, and like the other smaller companies were catching up. Yeah. But there was like in real life a ton of like backbiting and deliberate sort of discord about whether it was worth it. Like the industry really, you know, like frothed mm. up a lot of, a lot of, opposition to it uh, a lot of like very concerned op-eds about you know what could happen if the converter breaks was like well what if the thing isn't perfect have Huffing you thought gas about is that actually good for yeah. you, you <laughs> there was like and, this reminds me you can go back and read so many articles that's just like the most healthy thing you can oh do is God. smoke and then eat a cigarette it's like. so funny yeah <laughs> Yes, and I did read back through a lot of New York Times articles about this that were just like, but what will happen to the gas suppliers? Because the other thing was like, you had to use unleaded gas. Once it became clear that the converter was what was going to work, you had to use unleaded gas for it. And that was not the standard at the time. And so a lot of the gas companies were owned by the automakers, and they were like, about our investment, what will I do about it? What will I do with all this lead that I can't (laughs) put in the gas now? Use it in paint. (laughs) Yeah. Find something else to huff. A lot of like, where are we going to, we're going to have to buy externally and it'll cost money like to build the converter. So just, you know, before, during, even arguably after its rollout, wildly unpopular with automakers and the petroleum industry for like any number of reasons, which were almost all variations on we'd have to spend money. (laughs) Yeah. We don't want to have to actually try for profit. It really, truly was that. So there was a lot of malicious compliance where Mm. like the cars would just run shitty or not look as like sleek or whatever. Um, Uh, That's funny. I can't fault for that. That is what no, I, I know, yeah. <laughs> if I, you were in that scenario. I'm yeah. very petty. And it was for, like, you know, seatbelts or gas mileage. Like, any move towards regulation, mm-hmm. the the auto industry spent millions of dollars astroturfing opposition to it, which never kind of materialized. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny to me, the car show, the auto show that they have in the movie is all these, like, gleaming, sleek cars with the understanding that, like, but if you get the environmentally friendly, quote unquote, version, just the less toxic version, they won't look nice. They won't be the car of the future, you know, all of this. So it really was just government pressure from the EPA. And honestly, the willingness of lots of different like flavors of scientists and engineers to there's some astonishing innovation that went into building the catalytic converter that could be like rolled out across across the industry. Like hmm. fascinating, fascinating stuff. I encourage you to read about it. Yeah. Um so yeah, like, and they got it done. Like that's actual innovation is yeah. where they're, the government sets a target and then you let people go to work on it, right? Hmm. And by 1975, it was rolled out. Like the world didn't explode. <laughs> Auto industry certainly did not go under. And US carbon emissions per capita have gone down every single year since 1973. That was the peak huh. year in human history so far <laughs> for emissions from the US, which like, okay, wow. great, keep going. Anyway, and it was, so this whole fucking thing was in response to literally life threatening problems right like mm. huge increase in lung cancer that was eugene hudry's thing for a while was like we have to get lung cancer down oh um, okay yeah that's a good goal yeah like smog <laughs> events killing people all of this stuff but there was incredible amount of resistance from detroit mm. to even consider fixing any of it because it would cost them any amount of money right and they did as much to keep it like they c- 
kept it as much out of the public eye as they could, which is kind of where the fictionalized scandal in this movie grows from, right? Is them trying to suppress the understanding that life could be better, but they'd have to pay for it. Yes. So... Flip side, killer bees. <laughs> I was waiting for this drop. I want yes. this shoe to drop so bad. <laughs> it's full of bees. <laughs> They're real. This they... is not a fictionalized thing. No, yeah. We use them for gas now. <laughs> yes, yeah. We catalytically converted bees <laughs> into gas. The bees are disappearing, Nick. Yeah, the, when your car goes fast, it's, it's stinging. <laughs> it's, it's a million bees. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Killer Bees, I think everybody knows, you know, is just a, it's actually like popularly thought of as a misunderstanding of the Portuguese uh, term for them, which is assassin bees, which is just a, a, it's a sort of reference to how they take over existing European honeybee colonies so efficiently. That's all it means. Killer bees. Yeah. But they, will they kill you? Well, here's the thing. So they're a result of scientists importing African honeybees to Brazil to mate with European honeybees in an attempt to like get honey production up. They're the same kind of bee, but for whatever reason, they're also way more defensive. Like the resulting hybrid is way more defensive. So they can kill by swarming, whereas regular honeybees never, that would, that's so fucking rare. Maybe 10% of regular European honeybees will swarm mm. if there's a threat detective. The whole hive of killer bees will swarm. And as always, sex is the root of the problem. Just trying to get these different bees to fuck and you get this. <laughs> then that's then they has tried to like reverse engineer it by like making the eunuchs. African queen bees with yeah. <laughs> and then the bees died. But yeah, so it's it's like People, like, a bunch of them got loose in 1957, which was, like, the year after they migrated them to Brazil. They started migrating across South America. People were obsessed with what is essentially, like, a fictionalized danger. Like, I have they, seen they several have, killer bee movies. I, honest to God, like, there was a recurring SNL skit. There was a wrestling tag team. There were several movies. This was, like, a whole fucking thing in the public consciousness. I know about it. I was not... Not alive in any of the 20 years preceding, like, this movie. I mean, it makes sense. It sounds pretty cool. But, like, here is a bug that will hurt you so bad. And they're so small that it's just like, oh, of course, there'll be a kind that kills you eventually. (laughs) And they can't be reasoned with. So here's the thing, too, is they've killed about a a thousand people in 70 years since they migrated here. That's about 14 people a year. It's not Which nothing, is like but it's... not nothing. You want to know how many wasps or how many people are killed by wasps every year on average? A sixty. Oh. Sixty wa- sixty wasp deaths per year. So like you should be dogs kill about forty people a year. Like four times as many as killer bees kill. Okay. You should be way more careful about around wasps and dogs than you should like it's it's fine. Also, okay. here's a fun fact too, you can probably outrun a killer bee. That's the advice. Oh, okay, so they don't have good cardio. That's no, the... bad cardio. <laughs> <laughs> They're using it all up on their little wings. Right, yeah. Yeah. So there's this, like, you know, unknown, vaguely science fiction-y, like, kind of exotic threat that sounds mm. like it could kill a shit ton of people. Yeah. And, and people sprang into action about this. Like, there were constant news stories. There were guides published in, like, local, at, like, levels of government, local, you know, provincial, not provincial, but you know what I mean? <laughs> State level. Like, you know, fire departments were given special kinds of hoses to spray foam on any hose. killer. But yeah, like, to, to a <laughs> mist versions so to foam any bees that 
I, it, like, people got resources, they got training, they got news coverage like you wouldn't fucking believe. There's now, this, I'm like, having trouble believing the idea that we manufactured a crisis in order to... Distract from the actual <laughs> system. No, it was, and it wasn't even a distraction. People just love a tangible, marketable threat. You know what? They this love it. Feels like, this feels like an active version of quicksand, where I like, yeah, growing yeah. up would be like, oh, <laughs> if you walk into the jungle, every corner has quicksand on it. This feels... First of all, what jungle? We've <laughs> murdered all of it. Uh, second of all, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, so this is like the most publicized thing that fucking decade, for sure, mm-hmm. right? And... Like, it just goes in well with, like, that sense of invasion that Americans really go for of, like, the threat. We have to defend the border, you know. (laughs) You really could not throw a rock without hitting Hitting a... (laughs) No, because there were none. (laughs) A wildly inflated news soundbite on the bees is Mm. what I was going to say. So... And, like, people still know about this. Like, it was it was everywhere at the time. So this movie has, like, almost completely incidental to the actual plot, mm. two diametrically opposed crises going on just in the background. The auto industry, which is, like, actively trying not to save American lives <laughs> by suppressing tech that would, like, fix a real and everyday and, like... Certainly, you come into contact with a car more mm. often than you come into contact with a fucking killer bee. Yeah. And let me think for let me think. Yeah, that's the, probably Would right. you say yeah. that's fair? Yeah. <laughs> Just needed to make On sure average, yeah. yeah. But, and then people freaking out about this, these killer bees that were never going to pose a nationwide threat. And mm. the real, the difference is, like, one is coming from inside the house and we're very happy to ignore those sorts of problems, right? Yeah. It's, I just think it's a, such a great framing to have this movie set at that exact, like, that exact time in American history because, like, the auto industry, you know, argument about, like, making cars less deadly has been going on since the 1910s, yeah. right? And But the 70s is, like, so you could have said it at that time, but the 70s is just recent enough, I feel like, to give it that sense of, like, you probably... Like, your mom or dad probably grew up at this time, or Mm. you grew up at this time. Like, they remember what it was like. Shane Black remembers what it was like to have to pull your kids indoors. And, like, what is there? There's a no unnecessary exercise is the, like, the big, you know, alert of the day. Like, 4 p.m. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it gives it this sort of pointed sense of irony about like, hey, you remember when these companies that are definitely still around and pulling this exact same shit? Remember when they pulled this shit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty interesting to think about, huh? You know, they're think you in, might still be doing that? They're all in the abdomen of Big B. Yeah, <laughs> they'll break off when it stings someone. So, yeah. yeah, fear the thorax. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, we and we talked about it a little bit in this episode. They both the main characters do know that something is wrong. They're not stupid, but they're they don't they can't grasp like the scale or the weight of it because like their lives and their professions are very like short term, Mm -hmm. you know, focused problems. And like, you know, so go we all right. But there's nothing actionable on these things. yeah. Yeah. And it's so relatable in that feeling of same as it ever was. There's big widespread things going on, but one person on their own atomized in this way that's very specific to 
maybe 70s and 80s culture and going mm. into this very like individualistic kind of thing that you have no power to change any of that yeah. and, and just what is being fed to you as what is important or not important is entirely at the whim of companies it's it's just it's a really neat setting for yes obviously this is what it always was <laughs> in the u.s <laughs> but remember when like that's why those things happen to you as a child or it happened to your parents as a child yeah and i already mentioned already that this could have been a just like classic thrillery thing paranoia thrillers were huge in the yeah. 70s that's where they come from totally. for the most part yes um but it was all the same kind of reaction the same kind of like losing faith in the 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 big organizations the the government institu- institutions and all that because because of shit like this it's just like they weren't telling us about the bees and yeah. like, shut up about the bees <laughs> you guys damn it <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's absolutely the the birthplace of, like, conspiracy thrillers, right? Paranoia yeah. thrillers. Because it was so out in the open. It's got to feel bad. And it does mm. feel bad to look at things that are so obvious and that there's a simple solution for, but it would require, like, the government or the companies that run the government <laughs> spending a little money. Yeah. Or a lot of money where it's like, okay... A lot of people will die if you don't. But they're like, well, we didn't stab them, so it's fine. We're not murderers. And a line that I particularly love is when they're confronted by, like, Kim Basinger's uh, assistant. And she's Mm. pointing a gun at them. And she's like, I have killed three people. And he goes, like, Holland goes, I know you're not a murderer. And Jackson's like, she did just admit to murdering. And he's like, well, but I mean deep down. That's such a great line for, like, it's him being a dummy because he wants to date this woman. But it is also that thing of, like... Did you mean to kill them so that yeah. it's probably fine? Of what like, was your core intent? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All we wanted was money. So, like, we're not murderers, <laughs> you know, even though a bunch of people did die. And you can tell that, like, the, the unspoken thing in the company's mind there is the, like, they've figured out the exact dollar amount for a human life 100%. that is acceptable. Yeah. And this is, yeah, the That would come back that. to bite them. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So I I love that. It's such a it's such a weird little thing for him to be fixated on, but he's just he's as much victim as anyone else to the like killer bee panic because yeah. that is what you were being told was important at the time and it's weird to see the evidence of your own eyes, which is people dying from smog, but then be told, "Oh no, the danger is killer bees." And you're <laughs> like, "I don't th- I don't think so." But everyone is saying it is, so I don't know what to think. But it's to your point, it's that you could hit and kill a bee. That you can yes, do. No, exactly. And he does. And he does. <laughs> right at the end. He gets one That's in. The end of his character arc, which is beautifully wrapped up. <laughs> so there you go. That's my extremely far-fetched uh, look at the why I find these crises in this movie so interesting, even yeah. though they have nothing to do with the plot whatsoever. But it does have to do with the plot. It has they have to do, to do with, with the, the setting, feeling of the, the plot. Feeling of it. Yeah. And like for that reason, that's why I like I legitimately think this is a pretty dang solid period piece like it's yeah surprisingly yeah it's grounded in that environment for sure yeah i can't believe they said it in the aughts it's what are you doing (laughs) well this is the the original one that was set in the aughts the characters are the same and their backstories are the same right nothing else is the same so this is okay fair enough i think that's why it works as well as it does is because in the writing process they weren't like let's come up with characters that existed at this time and blah 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 sure let's come up with characters who are believable people yes and then set them at a time so what if they existed in the 70s yeah you then you look at the characters you're like oh i see that today as back then but no killer bees well not (laughs) not some yeah see this is the thing when the killer bees like came back or whatever to like a couple years ago people were like they're back i'm like oh yeah right (laughs) 
We had this whole thing. Anyway. So They're that's... back in pog form just to put a nail in my Simpsons <laughs> You have to do at me. least one Simpsons reference. It's yeah. like five today. So my bad. <laughs> You're not sorry. Don't pretend. I didn't say I was sorry. <laughs> you said it was your fault, right? Yes, okay. exactly. Yes. <laughs> and I appreciate that honesty. <laughs> so conclusion of segment. Wonderful. Thank you so much. That's... I will look forward to revisiting this with all of that in mind because we're all Holland marches, marches. I <laughs> it's always really hard not to. I know. We're all Holland marches where it's, it's the headline thing. Let's get that thing. Yeah. I got to be able to do something because yeah. I sure as hell am not going to sue the auto industry into oblivion. Yep. Yeah. I know. Wonderful. Well, I have a feeling that when I ask you right now for your final thoughts that there might be some of these crises type thoughts in there yeah i mean that is pretty much my final thoughts is just like it's such a great believable grounded character look at Mm. people who are trying to respond to these multiple fucking crises (laughs) that like they're now bearing the brunt of even though it was just a policy decision from someone they've never met and are never going to meet and that's how you have to live your life now Mm. is such a great it's got that like you know unsettling paranoia thriller thing to it but not as despairing as noirs can be yeah that's i like it's obviously it's a comedy that's very much on purpose but it's not silly it's like a character comedy if i can make up a phrase (laughs) go for it (laughs) it's all in character things it's not jokes as much yeah the closest you get is gags like ryan gosling bleeding everywhere but (laughs) that's a character funny it's not a joke yes exactly Yeah. yeah Yeah, no, so I just, I really like the the sense of it as like, yes, this is this is an, a situation in which you could definitely be forgiven for despairing. And, you know, Holland mm. March has depression and drinks a lot. But, and then there's, you know, Jackson Healy, who's just like, I'm never going to solve problems, I'm a fuck up, and mm. just kind of accepts that and rolls through it. And together, yeah. like, oh, they can start, you know, <laughs> at least fix one thing. Yeah. That's just, it's such a great movie for that. Yeah. I love that you have said that because my biggest thing that I think about with this movie, obviously the buddy dynamic is so much fun. These are two wonderful performers and seeing them perform wonderfully together is wonderful. (laughs) It's really wonderful. It somehow feels unique despite the fact that it's just tropes piled on tropes and like Shane Black is the buddy cop writer guy. Like that's his whole goddamn career. So like he's got to be good at it. So there you go. But the fact that it's two... Two individuals, like, obviously March is a PI, but, like, here are two people that shouldn't be doing anything that they're doing. And I know that this is just basic noir stuff, but it somehow has a unique flair to me through all of it. And I think part of that is, is that despite the fact that they don't reach a satisfying conclusion for, like, we solved the mystery and they went to jail. Like, it's nothing like that. The system keeps going. And normally with the noir stuff, that would be the system keeps going and it's going to stomp you down and you will hate the rest of your life. Like, that's it's obviously right. very cynical. But the ending of this is despite the fact that everything is bad, they're like very, they both seem much happier. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like together as friends. And like, it's not good. Like, Crow has started drinking again. Yeah, that seems like a dark note to end on. (laughs) I honestly, I think maybe, you know, it's not exactly this way, but maybe he feels safer drinking around Holland. Like he feels like they can can sort of support each other through it. Yeah. Whereas if he's drinking alone, I feel like that's a warning sign for him. Mm. Yes. He's, he's doing it socially now. Yeah, know? it's a community activity. Yeah, sure. He's a social trigger. <laughs> he's a social alcoholic. So all the cynicism against society is still there, but you have a really lovely, like, here's my little community yeah. thing. If I can be, like, if I can add on this, like, really 
uh, like candy coated <laughs> sentimentality onto a movie that does not Cute have any interest end. in it. No, I know. <laughs> That's as close as you're going to get, right? That is Shane Black's thing of the shine on it will never be real mm. but you can recreate that feeling with these you know relationships that you have with yeah. people and like that's where that real magic is gonna come through nice yes yeah. you have put it wonderfully thank you so much uh and now we will take all these here thoughts and uh double bill them with something to fulfill our mission statement as a podcast and i hope deliverables and that you would take it away by providing a movie to <laughs> i me. wish you would go away no <laughs> All right, so I'm going to go with another movie. Um, hilariously, it's it's made in 1977, so I like that a lot. That was an accident. But <laughs> it is about a guy who works in a questionable job and has to start sort of examining his job and the effects it has on people. And so I'm going to pair this with... Zale Dalen's Skip Tracer. Oh, uh, hell yes. Yeah. I love this movie. It's yes. really good. Okay, so it's Canadian. Yeah, so. no one will know what this movie is. No, so. and that's fair. They just gave it a, a physical release um, after, you know, however fucking many years. And not only that, but there were only like 500 copies or 200 copies, 500 copies. Right. Like that made. Yeah. yeah. So it's a guy, uh, David Peterson, in a weirdly charming performance <laughs> as a like a really cold, tough repo man who takes a newbie under his wing at the place that he works. And as he's starting to have to explain and justify, like, the business to the newbie, he starts questioning, like, what are we doing? And (laughs) is this a good idea? Um, And sort of starting to crack under that, like, intense, very nihilistic pressure of, like, Mm -hmm. it's me or them kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so it's actually, yeah, it's made in the year Nice Guys is set in, and it sort of has, I love that, yeah, yeah. It, it's got that sort of, like, calculating business attitude that mm. everyone was, like, really into in the late 70s and the 80s, you know, if, like, it's you against the, like, you gotta be a shark, like, that kind of thing, and... <laughs> Nice Guys, so sort of is is almost the macro version of this where it sets up these kind of power imbalances and it, like, implies the consequences of business supremacy, I guess you would say. Yeah, where and it's like the individual is... toll. Uh, yeah, exactly. Really when good. when a business makes a decision to increase their st- like shareholder value, what that actually means for people who live in the world, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so Skip Tracer literally shows, like, boots on the ground exactly what happens mm-hmm. when you get into the effect of that on human lives. And they're both just really great studies of people trying to, like, claw their way to the top of something that they don't like. And, and they, I think that part of it is they don't realize that they don't like it. At, at yeah, because you're told that you yeah. have to like it and that this is this is what it is. This is the way the world is. And, like, trying to sort of, you know, okay, harden themselves, then get a shell going and, like, realizing <laughs> that's just not really for them. And yeah. realizing that, you know, the top of the ladder sucks ass and uh, you don't want to be there and it hurts people along the way and do they want to be that person and mm. um you know all very like it, sure any movie is about that yeah. but it's this very specific a business interest translated into real world consequence uh skip tracer is maybe a like it's set in vancouver it's, mm-hmm. it's a little grimy in that it's way quite grimy, yeah. yeah yeah and it's uh it's quite intense uh at parts mm-hmm. and it, but it has a real, again, an ending that's not fun or good, but, but it it's is, satisfying oh, in a yeah. way that I can't really like, explain. I f- fist pumped, if not physically yeah. and emotionally. It was just such yes. a like, ah, yes. Yes. There's a good, There's a, if you get the chance to see this movie, do. It's not like, it's not, I'm billing it as the trash part because it's, 
I don't know if it's a sophomore uh, movie, but it is like an early work from a mm-hmm. person, and like it's not awesome. It's you know, I think it's, it's a low that, budget like seventies Canadian thing. But. Yeah, you can look past the rough edges to see the yeah. like. It's got the. It helps that Peterson is fucking great. He's so good in this. Yeah. It's weird. Like he's very. He's got that sociopath shell to him, but yeah. it's clearly an act. You yeah, know? it's really, really interesting watching him go through everything but i yeah it's it's much more of a like really grimy realism kind of movie as opposed to stylized like nice totally yeah Yeah. so i i'm billing it as the trash thing but it's got all the same exact it's got the same wandering through the city and it's all Mm. dirty and like not well taken care of and who gets to have a nice house who Mm. gets to sort of live in those really fancy places and like what are the consequences of that internally? And and yeah, uh, it's got all the same vibes to it, I feel like. So if you like nice guys and you want something less funny, but still same energy, yeah, uh, yeah try and try and track down Skip Tracer. I'll, yes. I'll borrow you my copy. <laughs> it's not my copy. It's your copy. It's my copy. I'll borrow you Nick's copy. <laughs> Give it back. You can pick up your own copy at Gold Ninja Video, a nice uh, Canadian real- there you go. realtor? Nope. Don't- Retailer of... Uh, <laughs> Of fine movie goods. Someone's been watching Santa Clarita Diet. <laughs> I assure you, I've not. <laughs> and you're poorer for it. But <laughs> yes, Gold Ninja, thank you for releasing this. That's all. Oh, okay, I thought you paused like you were expecting them to say you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening to them right now. <laughs> so that's mine. And I'm going to call it uh, Smog Crusted now because you said it. Very good. And yeah, that's Vancouver good. in the 70s, there's some smog in there. Smoggy. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Well, for me, I wanted to do an unprecedented thing here and talk about ones that I didn't pick. Ooh, all right. Let's um, hear the runners up. My knee-jerk reaction, and this is more, I just want people to know about these other movies. My knee-jerk reaction to this was to bill it with another Canadian movie, The Kid Detective. Oh, sure, um, sure, sure. Which is just, it's not really a buddy mystery, but I feel like it's the serious version of Nice Guys, where it's still funny and, and such, but it's feel like it's doing the same pop noir thing. Uh, yeah. Um, just go watch it. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing, I was, uh, so I was thinking about that. I realized I double-billed that with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang last nah. year. So I was like, nah, maybe I'll. They got you. Turns out I just think that Shane Black should watch this movie, I guess. I Shane like... Black, have you considered making The Kid Detective? <laughs> I think he would like it. <laughs> um, and the other one I was thinking of, but I was like, no, it's just the same movie. Is uh, if you've, if you're a fan of the old airplane type comedy movies, Go and check out the Lethal Weapon parody called Loaded Weapon, starring Sam Jackson and Emilio Estevez. It's not a good movie, but it is just the making fun of the nice guys version of of this. It's it's very silly, but I just, if you're looking for a parody, there you go. All right. A little recommendation for your day. Yeah, just some little honorable mentions. Because what I wanted to pair this with was another movie that would, like, work as a really good period piece. And I'm so glad you went into, like, the history of the crises here. Because (laughs) the reason that I'm setting these two together is they both have this backdrop of, like, what you'd consider us, what the people in the upper echelons of society would consider a, like, social crisis. Okay. And nice guys, it's the porn industry. Where the porn industry is involved in everything. But it's actually got very little to do with the real plot and the real, the real like, energy. It's of not it's... the antagonist, Not really. at all. Yeah. It just, it is the first thing that you're like, oh, that's the problem. Right. That's, it's all cast in this way. And it does the North thing that I've been going on about all month, which is like, oh, look at these detectives move through what is considered the underbelly. A and seedy environment, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The porn industry. And it's a period piece 
of like 40 years back or whatever. So I'm doing that and I, I'll, I'm man enough to admit it. This is, I just watched this movie the first time and I want other people to recommend it, but I do feel like it fits in with this as the more serious, the more artful um, thing. All right. That's the is, only criteria. So <laughs> go for it. Uh, it is Devil in a Blue Dress from 1995. Oh, nice. Yes. by Carl Franklin. Nice. Uh, so it's a much more noir noir. Um, mm. It's funny. It takes the same kind of roughly 40 years prior period piece. So right, like, Nice yeah. Guys is in the 70s. Uh, Devil in a Blue Dress takes place in the 40s. Uh, so it's a much more serious noir noir, uh, but the buddy element is there to be very funny. Like it, the it arrives pretty late into the movie, but Don Cheadle and um, uh, Denzel Washington are funny isn't even the right word. They just have like such an amazing chemistry, such yeah, an amazing no, like yeah. back and forth that it's just the history is there so immediately in watching them. You cannot help but think of it as a buddy comedy from that point out. Like not comedy for sure, but yeah. you you have that sense of it. And I mean, for superficial reasons, Nice Guys has great introduction of characters of like Gosling in the tub, <laughs> Russell Crowe punching out a guy. Yeah. Uh, the introduction of Don Cheadle's character in Blue Dress is so, it's fantastic. It's I really good. love his first scene. Yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> um, but like I said, the, the period piece aspect of 40 years ago for nice guys, porn industry, for Devil in the Blue Dress, it is the, um, I don't know, if there, there for sure is a historical name for it, but it's the migration of uh, deep south uh, black Americans going to the West Coast. Right which was seen by white people in California as like, oh, what's Panic. happening? Panic. Right. Um, and it led to a lot of those groups interacting in ways that they never had before. Mm. So there's a lot of race panic, I guess you'd say. I mean, there. yeah. Um, but like to paint with an incredibly broad brush, similar aspects were like, oh, well, they're involved with this crowd. So they're they're like a bad garbage person and we can just shoot and kill them because <laughs> they're worse than nothing. Like that level of sharp divide in society. Right. But they're... Nice. I also like that they both function as feeling like the jumping off point for like a buddy detective agency thing. They both feel like here's the first, here's the origin story for yeah, these guys. Yeah, no, it does, doesn't it? And then you've got the rest of them. I mean, Devil in the Blue Dress is literally the first book of a series of books. Yes. So, I mean, it, it's literally the text of it. Yeah. But they have that same ending energy where you're like, oh, wow, this system is still awful. Nothing has been gained in that respect. Everyone's a loser. But these two, uh, these buddies, yeah. are much happier in their community now and they've like hit their community goals almost yeah they've, that sector of their life has improved yeah like measurably yeah. yeah yeah oh that's really interesting i like that a lot that's that's very much like a there's a darker side to that buddy pairing too because yes. don Sheedle's character is insane <laughs> And he like just loves to murder people, and but it it's he's what you need at that moment in time. So there's yeah. that yeah that very like should I be friends with this guy? Well, like, even, yeah, that... taking our nice guys where like I can easily see the internal uh, journey of Holland March being like this guy is really violent and scary. Like I don't want to be associated with yeah. him. I am too scared. <laughs> he did beat the shit out of me the first time yeah. we met. Yeah. <laughs> so and I'm calling my nice. devil in a nice dress. <laughs> That's so cute. So cute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think we've done it for another week here on the pod. 
Indeed. All lovely movies. We've talked about six or seven movies today. Go watch all of them. <laughs> uh, there will be a test. It's just, have you watched these movies? Uh, no, one of them will be, what was the color of the dress? Oh, right. <laughs> nice color. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. Fail. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, please uh, let others know about the show if you enjoyed it. If you didn't enjoy it, do not tell anybody. <laughs> Shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> this is a kiss, kiss, bang, bang rule. You don't talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first rule about kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Um, tell no one. <laughs> <laughs> good marketing. <laughs> Thanks so much. You can tell I'm really good at it. Heads all written down. Uh, please follow us at Gertbidge Film. Nope, I get that wrong every time. Oh boy. At Gertbidge Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and please join us next time for another nice pop of garbage. Dad, there's like whores here and stuff. Sweetheart, how many times have I told you, don't say and stuff. Just say, Dad, there are whores here.